Um, it's been within the past week and a half or so, um, there was a lady who visited uh, a McDonald's. She ordered a bacon biscuit. This was the drive through Well, uh, when she got her order passed to her through the window, she opened it up, and it was not a bacon biscuit in the bag. It was a sausage biscuit. She was very, very upset. How could someone uh, mix up such an important order like this that you would cons- confuse sausage for bacon? Um, and the manager came to the window and he, he apologized profusely for their mistake and gave the woman her bacon biscuit, corrected and fixed the order as uh, you would hope would happen. They thought that would be the end of it, but no. Uh, the lady proceeds to, to, she takes her biscuit, then she goes and she parks. She gets out of her car. She goes into the McDonald's and finds who it was that was making the, the putting the order together and it begins to yell at her, unleashing her anger on this woman who would bring such a strange biscuit into her her presence when she specifically asked for a bacon biscuit. The manager seeks to intervene. The woman, again, angered by this, con- this error, uh, pushes the manager out of the way to try to get to the, uh, the, the biscuit maker, knocking uh, the employee to the ground who hits her head on the, the fry maker thing and is injured. Um, the woman leaves as they begin to call police uh, un- as she's unleashed her, her anger and her fury on one who would, who would mix up her, her order and who would not get her, uh, her requests right. Um, there are uh, some passages in Scripture that depending on how you read them, uh, you may come across as thinking God is like this lady who visits McDonald's. That He's insecure. That He is uh, confused. Irrational. Vindictive. Hateful. Just waiting for the moment for you to mess up and get it wrong. And bam! He's going to come in and get you. And there's nothing you can do to make it right. He's confusing and uh, really uh, unjust and maybe even abusive. Uh, One of the passages uh, that uh, some people come to and uh, come to those types of conclusions about God are one that we are looking at today in Leviticus chapter 10. So if you would, turn with me uh, to Leviticus chapter 10. We'll be in, um, it's on page 88 if you want to follow along one of the, the black Bibles there in front of you. And we'll see, uh, does this, uh, is this right for us to, to think about as we uh, encounter more about the character of our, our God? Remember where we are in in Leviticus at this point, the first few chapters, God was outlining the ways, uh, the different um, types of offerings and sacrifices that you would bring to him in order for the relationship to be made right. 
um, later on uh, got a, talked about um, how to, to the priest would be ordained and 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 made um, uh, ready for service to bring these sacrifices to mediate and be the go-between between the people and God so that they could enter into uh, His presence and have this relationship with them. And last week, what we saw was the very first worship service corporately gathered where the priest, where Aaron and his sons were doing their work and God graciously accepts these offerings, atoning for the sin of the people and accepting them into fellowship and relationship with Him. Uh, The consuming fire of God's grace and mercy. But what do we see in this chapter? So, if you would, look with me. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 10. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before Yahweh, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before Yahweh and consumed them, and they died before Yahweh. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what Yahweh has said, among those who are near me, I will be sanctified and before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphon, the sons of Uzael, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary and out of the camp. So they came near and carried them in their coats uh, out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, Do not let the hair of your heads hang loose, and do not tear your clothes, lest you die, and wrath come upon all the congregation." But let your brothers, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning that Yahweh has kindled. And do not go outside the entrance of the tent of meeting, lest you die. For the anointing oil of Yahweh is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. And Yahweh spoke to Aaron, saying, Drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that Yahweh has spoken to them by Moses. Moses spoke to Aaron and Eleazar and Ithmar, his surviving sons. Take the grain offering that is left of of Yahweh's food offerings and eat it uh, unleavened beside the altar, for it is most holy. You shall eat it in a holy place because it is your due and your son's due from Yahweh's food offerings. For so uh, I am commanded. But the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed, you shall eat in a clean place. You and your sons and your daughters with you, for they are given as your due and your son's due from the sacrifices of the peace offering of the people of Israel. The thigh that is contributed and the breast that is waved, they shall bring with the food offerings of the fat pieces to wave for a wave offering before Yahweh. And it shall be yours and your sons with you as a due forever, as Yahweh has commanded. Now Moses diligently inquired about the goat of the sin offering. And behold, it was burned up. And he was angry with Eleazar and Ithmar, Ithmar, the surviving sons of Aaron, saying, Why have you not eaten the sin offering in the place of the sanctuary, since it is a thing most holy and has been given to you that you may bear the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement for them before Yahweh? Behold, its blood was not brought into the inner part of the sanctuary. You certainly ought to have eaten it in the sanctuary as I commanded. And Aaron said to Moses, Behold, 
Today they have offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before Yahweh, and yet such a thing as these have happened to me? If I had eaten the sin offering today, would Yahweh have approved? And when Moses heard that, he approved. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word and pray now that You would apply it uh, to the, the lives and hearts of Your people. Um, give us uh, wisdom to know what it is You are communicating to us uh, about Yourself in this passage. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So in, in chapter 9, we have a profound display of of God's mercy and His grace, accepting the, the death of these animals on behalf of the, of the, of the people, uh, using and accepting the blood to, to cleanse and purify them from their sins that they could have a relationship with Him. And He con- confirms through the fire shooting out from the, the tabernacle and burning up all of the, the, the meat that is on the altar, that yes, I accept this. Yes, you are made right and atoning, uh, atoned. Uh, your sin has been atoned for and you are made right with me. And then shortly after that, on the same day, just after all the ordination has gone through that uh, Aaron and his sons have, just when they've seen this great display of the grace and mercy of God, this happens. Maybe it was hours or, or even minutes after this offering was consumed. God's fire shoots forth again, consuming, burning up, and killing Nadab and Abihu. What? What is going on? Like is, is God confused? Why such the quick shift of, of attitude and response? Is He moody? What is up with God's actions here to His people? I thought you were a gracious God. I thought you were a merciful God. And are you not overreacting a little bit? They bring some strange fire. What was the incense? Not the right mixture for you? Did they accidentally bring you a sausage biscuit instead of a bacon biscuit? And so you blast them with a fireball and burn them up? Who, who, who are you? What is going on? Is this punishment too harsh? Is God being a little unfair here? Let's see what what is what has actually happened and why is this punishment occurring for us to begin to evaluate whether it is overly harsh or not and what God is is doing here. Now, notice in verse one of chapter 10, it says uh, that Nadab and Abihu took their uh, little incense burner and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered, it says, unauthorized fire before Yahweh, and then it clarifies and underlines it with this, which He had not commanded them. Now, if you go back and look in chapters, uh, in chapter 9 and in chapter 8, over and over and over again, it kept, it kept coming up as God commanded, as Moses commanded, 
as God commanded. They did as God commanded over and over and over and over again. And then when we get to this part, when it's talking about Nadab and Abihu, all of a sudden, that language is not there. In fact, it's the exact opposite. They, on their own initiative, do things that were unauthorized, not only not, uh, not commanded by God, and they are doing something that's in disobedience to their covenant king. What is it that they, that they, they did? Well, uh, it could be that, because there's instructions uh, in Exodus about the type of incense that was needed to be, be burned before God. It could be that, that they had uh, decided to do their own mix. It could be that they got the fire from another place because the fire was actually supposed to come from, uh, from the altar. But there's other things in here that communicate uh, details that, that help to inform possibly of what uh, more of what was what was going on. I don't know if you notice, uh, you know, just after this, after they're they're struck down, the first word that God speaks. And this is the, the only place where God speaks directly to Aaron within the, the book of Leviticus. He starts talking about not drinking. Don't drink wine. Don't drink strong drink when you come into the presence of Yahweh. Uh, why would he touch on that if what was going on was not that Nadab and Abihu possibly, through the celebration of, that, of what had occurred, had had a little too much to drink as they're carrying on their... Uh, their ministry of what they're supposed to do before the Lord. They're not thinking clearly. Maybe they're doing things uh, that they, they thought would be, uh, be good to do for God. And so in not thinking clearly, they begin to do things that they actually aren't supposed to do. Um, in chapter uh, 16, later, uh, we'll, uh, we'll touch on this as we, we get further into... Uh, uh, Leviticus, but chapter 16 is, uh, is the section where it begins to talk about the Day of, the, of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was the only day, the one day throughout the year, where the high priest was allowed into the Holy of Holies. Lance, if you can put up our diagram again of the tabernacle. Um, so only the priests were allowed in this first section where the altar of incense and the table of showbread are. None of the people, the common people, were allowed in. You could come into the temple compound there in the area where the altar of burnt offering is, but only the priests were allowed in this next section, the holy place. But only the high priest was allowed into the holy of holies, God's throne room. And you could only come once a year, the high priest could. Um... Leviticus chapter 16 begins by talking about Nadab and Abihu's death. And then there's instructions about when and how Aaron is allowed to come into the Holy of Holies. So we begin to put some of these things together. It seems that what happened is that not only were Nadab and Abihu offering this strange and unauthorized fire, possibly uh, with too much alcohol in their system, they venture into God's throne room, into the Holy of Holies. In fact, it would help to make sense of what we read when these two uncles uh, go into, uh, Aaron's uncles go in in verse 4. It says, come near, carry your brothers away from the front of the sanctuary. Well, if we're looking at God's house, you're entering in back here 
Where's the front of the sanctuary, the holy tent of meeting? It's up here in the Holy of Holies. They'd ventured somewhere where they were not allowed to go, where they shouldn't be. Is this really that big of a deal? Is it really that big a deal that they went into a room they shouldn't go, that they offered incense they shouldn't offer? Well, if we're thinking back and considering the worldview of what Scripture's teaching us and what Leviticus is trying to communicate to the people of God, first off, it begins by uh, uh, reminding us that God is the Creator and we're the creature. He's the one who made everything. That means it's His Because He created it all, He rules over it all, He rules over us, and what He says is what goes. The other thing that Scripture begins to teach us and and communicate is the dynamics of our relationship with God because of our rebellion against Him. He's the King, and we're in a place of being rebels. That's our relationship to Him unless He does some sort of redemptive work. So as rebels, we're deserving of the punishment for our rebellion. And the book of Leviticus begins to outline alternatives to that punishment that God gives so that our relationship with Him can be made right and be established. Uh, This holy, good, and gracious, and just King has set up these rules and these laws and says that I am the Holy One, I am the set-apart One. Do not bring your sin into My presence. Do not come into the place that is only reserved for Me and defile it with your sin and your rebellion. Notice, although we may read this at first and think God is being too harsh, He's being unfair. This is cruel. This is no way he should have punished these guys like this. Notice Aaron's response. As Moses says to Aaron, what is uh, what has just happened in verse three? Aaron, it says, Aaron held his peace. That means although we might object and have struggle with what's going on here, Aaron's response is seeing, no, you know what? He is the creator. He is the king. My sons did wrong. This punishment was just and deserving. And I cannot object to God being unfair or unjust in what happened to my sons. Aaron accepts it and acknowledges it as being right and being an appropriate punishment for what has occurred. Well, we might say, all right, well, maybe for Aaron and these guys in the Old Testament, I mean, yeah, we we all know that the God of the Old Testament was a God of wrath, some of us might say. Although we've already seen in the book of Leviticus, that would be a wrong assumption. Leviticus has communicated to us over and over that God is actually a, a God of grace and mercy. Um, But we might say, but the God of the New Testament doesn't act like this anymore. These these types of of displays of of wrath, this contradiction between one at one time, he's this God of grace and mercy. And then here he shows his his justice and his wrath on sin. But let's let's think about that. Let's think about the New Testament and think about. 
the greatest display of not just God's justice, but His mercy and grace. And where do we find that? We find that on the, at the cross, where God's extreme righteous justice, doing what is right, punishing sin, meets with His mercy and His grace of providing one to die in the place of rebels that you could be accepted and made right. You see, the mercy and grace of God is not a contradiction of the justice of God. God is not being unjust to punish Nadab and Abihu in what he's done here. Um, think, of, think about this. Really, if we're, we have the right perspective on, on what's occurred in the Old Testament up to this point in Genesis and Exodus, why is it that it was just Nadab and Abihu that were blasted like this? Why did we not read in Genesis chapter 3? And Adam and Eve decided to say, I don't care what you say, God. I want that fruit. I'm going to eat from the tree you've told me not to. And then, gone. That would have been justice. God would have been perfectly right if he did that. But he didn't. He didn't. He extended mercy, communicating over and over to His people that I'm just, and you will experience consequences, but there is a way for you to be made right with Me. God is a God of mercy, but He does not throw, it does not throw out His justice. See, maybe we need to reconsider and think about the way that we approach and understand God and what's doing, what He's doing. Um, I wonder sometimes if here in this passage, we need to ask ourselves, are we shocked more by God's justice or are we shocked more by His mercy and His grace? Should it not, if we understand what the Scriptures are telling us, that we are all rebels against our God, that the justice of God should never cause us any question or trouble. We should be able to acknowledge and see, yes, we are all deserving of that. What should cause us really to step back and be amazed at, maybe even deep, deep heart-wrestling confusion and give us pause to think, what, am I reading this right? He's extending mercy? He's extending grace? That should be our, our primary response. But sometimes I think if you're like me, maybe we begin to get into this place where we think that actually we deserve the mercy and grace of God. That we can begin to see God's justice as injustice because we think our primary uh, position before God is that, of course, he should respond to me in grace and mercy. And we may begin to get upset with him for not doing so. Aaron held his peace. Aaron understands this is what sinners deserve. We see something true about the character of our God. 
why would he display it like this? Why here, now, on the same day as this ordination has occurred, finished up, and as they've, they've celebrated this first worship service, why here would God choose to show this great display of wrath and punishment and justice on Nadab and Abihu? When Adelaide started uh, kindergarten at Sheep Harney uh, last year, Lindsay had talked with her teacher about coming in to volunteer. And her teacher was like, yeah, that would be great. We would love for you to come in and volunteer, but it's going to be several weeks before I will let anyone come into our class and, and volunteer. Because there's something important that has to happen in these first weeks. The kids need to understand uh, how vitally necessary it is for them to follow the rules and to obey because the groundwork that's laid in kindergarten sets the tone for how they're going to live life as a student at Sheep Harney and advance through the rest of the grades. And I don't want any distractions coming in to the classroom that's going to lead these, these kids away. I need to get them on task and for them to realize um, quickly and in a deep way that obedience is what is needed and required in our classroom and that they are going to be focused on, on listening to me. She drove it in hard and sometimes there were even more significant consequences early on so that the message would seek in for those who had not been in a school situation before would realize, no, I need to obey and listen and do what the teacher says because it has serious implications, because you have a, a world of responsibility as you're getting ready to go forth. And everything in the future depends on this foundation of obedience and getting and understanding how you live as a student at Sheep Harney. Well, well think, think about this. Here, we saw last week, every time that Israel brought an offering before God, did he consume it with fire? No. That was a special display of God's uh, a special sign to demonstrate in a, in a, the beginnings of this new formed relationship with his people about how God was working and to confirm to them that this he was accepting their offering. This, too, is to be viewed in the same way. Early on, God is giving this uh, hard, quick stiff penalty to Nadab and Abihu so that the message goes out to the rest of the people that they understand this is serious business. You have a heavy, heavy responsibility coming beforehand before you as you engage in the world around you. And you need to know I am not going to put up with this. Because the mission is at stake. What is the, the mission? What is this responsibility? What is this why would God need to, to come in and, and set these, this intense punishment early on so that everybody gets it? Notice what he says in verse 3, what he's focused on. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified or, be, or I will show myself to be holy or be seen as holy. And then he says this, and before all the people, I will be glorified. God's concern is with his holiness and his glory. And notice in, the, in this verse who he's, he's focused in on who need to understand significant things about his holiness and his glory. Those who draw near to me or the priests. And then he says all the people. So there's something about the priests and the people of Israel that they need to understand deeply 
important things about God's holiness and His glory because they're going to be the ones who are showing it out and demonstrating it. Notice, we'll look at each of those groups, the priest. Look in verse 10 and 11, the deep and heavy responsibility the priests have. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. And you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that Yahweh has spoken to them by Moses. If God is holy, priest, you have a responsibility to teach the people about me and how to relate to me. You need to make sure that you are, are distinguishing appropriately because between what is holy and set aside for special use for God and what is not. What will bring you into a place of, of defilement and impurity and what will not. Because you're the ones who are, who are drawing near. You're the chief example and representative of the people. They need to understand it. You have to uh, grasp and realize this. In fact, in verses 4 through 7, I don't know if you uh, picked up on this, uh, but it's Aaron calls his uncles to go in and get Nadab and Abihu's bodies. It's not Aaron and his sons. Why? Because death defiles. Aaron, if you go in and touch this dead body, it will render you unable to enter into the presence of God for one week as you go through the purification process. Then what's going to happen to the people? You will not be able to minister on their behalf. The sacrifices will not be able to happen. Notice the weight of that responsibility. God lays it out even more in verses uh, uh, 17. He says this, look, um, uh, you've been what you are to do in verse 17. It says is you're doing these sacrificial things to bear the iniquity of the congregation and make atonement uh, for them before Yahweh. This is their responsibility. They are atoning and dealing with the sin of the people, bringing it before God. If they get this wrong, it affects all of the people. That's why the, the strong declaration of don't drink uh, alcohol and strong drink while you're serving before me in the tabernacle. They were allowed to at other times. In fact, there were actually other celebrations and festivals that the people participated in where part of it was actually bringing and drinking strong drink before God. The Bible is not against alcohol. It's against drunkenness. But particularly, those who need to have their minds clean and focused are the priests. Because look what happened to Nadab and Abihu. And if you're teaching the, the people of Israel the law, they need to understand how to follow and walk with God. You've got to live this life out. Why? Well, look at what they're to do to the people. And so our focus is on the people. The people are called to, in verse 11, they're called to obey what God is teaching. If the, if the, the priests are teaching to the people the law of God, then the response of the people should be one of obedience, to do what it is God is teaching them. Why? Why is the obedience of the people so important? We've got to remember back why it is that God has redeemed Israel. What's the purpose? Just so they can escape his wrath? Just so they can live in the promised land? No. He saved them from their sin into a relationship with him for mission. 
so that they reflect to the world something true about this God. His holiness, His goodness, His righteousness, His grace, His mercy. What it looks like to live in a restored relationship with this God. Israel, if you get this wrong, the mission suffers. If you get this wrong, the world will think poorly of me. You will wrongly reflect my character in the world. It's important for you, Israel, to grasp and understand my holiness and my glory because there's a big responsibility on you. And it relates even in seeing here with the uh, where Aaron and his sons are given the grain and the, and the meat to eat that Moses is concerned about them eating or not eating. It says that it's their, their it, it talks about it in verses 12 and following about being their perpetual due. Why do they need this food? Well, it's the, the people of Israel are providing it to the priest so that they can eat. So that they're not having to work and labor outside of the temple so that they can focus on what they're supposed to do. Teaching the people about the law of God and bringing their sins before their God. The people have a great and heavy responsibility and God is stepping in now at the beginning and saying, we cannot play games with this stuff. Because it's for the sake of the world. It's for the sake of the mission of rescue and restoration. Um, some, there's been times in our kids' lives where uh, they've invited some friends over to play. And we'll go up to their bedroom or their playroom afterwards, and it is an absolute wreck. Toys are everywhere. Boxes are turned over. Sheets are off beds. Toys are broken. Things are broken. And we ask them, well, how did this happen? And a lot of times it's like, oh, well, so-and-so did that. And we were like, well, were you doing it too? Did you tell them we're not supposed to treat our stuff like that? Well, no, I was doing it as well. We tell them, Try to communicate them the importance of when your friends come over to your house, if they see you playing with your toys like that, or they see you jumping up and down on the couch, they think, oh, this must be the way they treat their stuff. And this must be the way that it's appropriate to act in their house and with the stuff that's here. Your actions actually encourage and invite people to do the same things you're doing. And it leads to them destroying your stuff and our house. Think about this. What has God been saying this building is? It's his house in the midst of his people as he's moved into their neighborhood. If you're jumping around on God's couch, tearing his junk up, what is the rest of the world going to think? That must be how you treat this God. It's okay to disrespect him and just dirty up all of his things and mistreat his, his possessions, his people. God is saying, look, you are my chief representatives in the world and you must understand my holiness and my glory because it's you that's going to carry it out into the world. You see, this is a great privilege. This is the blessing. This is part of what it means to be made in and be brought into the people of God and to participate in what he's doing. But is he still like this? Does God really still care that much? That he would send a message like this of Nadab and Abihu then? Surely he's changed. Well, actually, if 
If we look in Acts chapter 5, there's a couple, Ananias and Sapphira, they think that they could lie to the Holy Spirit. And God strikes both of them down dead. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the, the church in Corinth is mistreating the Lord's Supper and God's people in the context of worship and are abusing the Lord's Supper in the way that they meet and, and putting some people because they're, more, they're poor and not, don't have as much status in another room. They're giving them leftovers and, uh, and putting great division within God's people. And Paul says to them in 1 Corinthians 11, because of this, some of you are sick and some of you have died. Does God not still care about the way that His people live? the way that they worship Him and deal with His stuff and His people. Early on in the beginning of the church, God wants to send this same message. Do not get confused. This is important. I'm going to give these harsh acts of punishment to my people early on so that it sinks in and you realize this is no laughing matter. It's not a game. The sake of the world rests in what I'm doing with you and you are the means by which I'm taking my message to the nations. Be concerned with my holiness. Be concerned with my glory. That's why I died for you to bring you in to this relationship with me. So what's the, what's the response? What, what should become of this? Should we obey God because we're afraid and we don't want him lashing out at us? Notice what what happens with Aaron um, in verses 16 and following. So remember uh, what we've learned about some of the offerings in the past is that some of them, the priests were to eat. Uh, and so um, one of the sin offerings was was done. Um, the sin offering, if it was done on uh, for if it was one of the priests that sinned or the people as a whole, remember that blood was to be taken in to the the holy place and and wiped on the the altar of incense and stuff to purify God's house. And there, if that happened, then all of it was to be burned up. But if it was just applied on the outside, if it was just a uh, one individual's sin, um, then uh, it was. Um, uh, to, it could be eaten and should have been eaten by the priests. Well, what happens here is Moses gets mad because um, uh, Aaron's other two sons fail to eat that food. They let it burn up. Moses is concerned. Are you disobeying God? Did you not realize what just happened? Do you not understand how important this is for your provision, for the atoning work of the people, for the sake of the mission that the world might know of the redeeming work of our God? But Aaron says this, Aaron says this in verse 19, Behold, today they've offered their sin offering and their burnt offering before Yahweh, and yet such things of these have happened to me. If I had eaten the sin offering today, would Yahweh have approved? And when Moses heard that, he approved. What's going on is Aaron is saying, look, we didn't eat it. We let it burn up. Because I have great concern on whether God will approve of me eating this or not. Aaron, not, not afraid of punishment, but more and more concerned with the holiness and the glory of God. Aaron's concerned of thinking, all right, 
these two priests have just died. This sacrifice that just happened, I don't I want to make sure that we're eating it appropriately or not eating it when we're not supposed to. And so we went ahead and let it burn up before the Lord, because what's getting deep, deep in my heart is my concern of the things that I do. What I'm thinking about is God's approval, if he's going to accept this and if we're doing what he has commanded and intended. It's, it's driven by a deep heart embracing of the value and the importance of demonstrating and showing the holiness of God. It's something that we need to think about and what drives our obedience before God. Is it primarily just one of I'm doing this because I don't want to die? I don't want God to strike me down? Now, something we need to remember uh, this is just a, a, a temporal punishment of Nadab and Abihu. The same thing would have happened with the people in, in Corinth. Does Jesus' work atone? Does it save and redeem them fully from the wrath of God? Yes. If you have hoped and trusted in Jesus, are you delivered from the wrath of God? Yes. But that does not mean that you might not suffer consequences now for your sin. God doesn't promise to take away the consequences of that sin in this world. He does promise to deliver and free us from it, the ultimate eternal consequences. But God does this, that we would, would learn and demonstrate His glory out. Aaron is showing us, and what Leviticus is beginning to show us, is we need to have a deep, heartfelt embracing of this great privilege we have to show the holiness and, and, and glory of our God that... Um, everything that we do would be done and motivated by His glory, not just to preserve our own lives and fear of, uh, of punishment, but focused fully on His glory going forth because He's our great, redeeming, and delivering King who has done what? Given His life for us. Here we see in Leviticus the grace and mercy of God meeting the justice of our God. We see that in the cross May that be what moves us to proclaim the holiness, the glory, the mercy, and the justice of our God in our world. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your, uh, your deliverance of us. We thank you that you have sent Jesus uh, to be, um, uh, as you tell us in Romans, that through him you will be both just and and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. We pray that we would have, uh, as your people, embrace our calling to be uh, your holy ones, to demonstrate and show your glory. Um, show us our, uh, um, the, all the provision that you have given us um, and change us, we pray. Uh, in Christ's name, amen.